win number six in a row, a season-high tying sixth win in a row. And don't look now. And we said this yesterday, and Eric was giving me the, on the other end, E, you were giving me the old watch it, Jonesy, watch it, watch it. But it could very well get to eight. I know you can't get to eight until you get... I know you can't get to eight until you get six, but they got six last night, so. Well, Jonesy, our, our, our buddy Jordan hit us up yesterday, and uh, he was he was chatting with me, and, and he was talking about the game. And uh, I said, well, hold on. Don't don't be putting too many shekels down or, 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 or getting too crazy because Jonesy might have laid the jinx down, but no, the no, Raptors powered can... through the jinx last night. You, you called it. You you called Let's, it. You you said it could get to eight, and now, now they got six. So now you're calling for seven tomorrow, and you're calling for eight on Thursday, right? Uh, I'm I am yeah, but I'm I'm just I'm uh, on the on the superstition scale. Uh, you are at the on a scale of one to ten at superstition. I think you're around seven or eight, and I'm around two. Like you say stuff, and you oh no, don't don't jinx this. Like a guy goes to the foul line, he's made 10 in a row. And you say it, you state the fact that he's made 10 in a row and he misses, and you go, oh, the broadcaster jinx or the Jones jinx or whatever. No, he's not going to be perfect. And if you think he heard that and it had anything to do with the guy missing, I'd rather him go to the line the other way. Oh, he's missed nine in a row. And like, oh, why'd you foul him? Because if he's, if he's a 70% shooter, he's probably going to make the next eight, nine in a row. Like that's there's a great story, Eric, in this book that I'm going to have you read, and I think everybody should read it, just for an attitude on life. But the more and more I've been delving and and immersing myself in golf, there's a book by renowned golf sports psychologist Bob Rotella called "Golf Is Not a Game of Perfect," and that's why some of my friends don't play it because it is a game of, uh, as as one of my good friends. Uh, Simeon Mars said Simeon was Jamal's high school coach uh, uh, and, and coached at the University of Kentucky with, with Rick, Rick Patino as an assistant under him. He says, I, I, I have trouble with golf because it's a game of, 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 of mistakes and imperfection. And he's right. But G- Bob Rotella, the title of this book is Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. And they talked. They, they had a kid in sports psychology come in and talk to a class, and I don't know if it was Virginia or somewhere in the South, I don't know, D.C., somewhere. The, the kid was part of a state championship team, and he'd missed like a whack of shots in a row, 10 or 11 shots in a row, and yet he made the game-winning shot. And the kid's attitude was, of course I'm making the game-winning shot. I'm a 50% shooter, and I've missed like 10 in a row. The next 10 are supposed to go in, so I'm going to keep shooting. So you see, Eric, you're on the – you accredit that to superstition. And there's – I hate to say it, but I will believe some of the numbers sometime when it comes to – now, if they don't get to eight, they're already at a season-high six. So you got to figure, as we always say, maybe you give one or two back here or there, but you've reeled off six in a row and you take that. Hey, all I know is last night, Gary Trent went to the free throw line. I was talking about the great night that he was having. He was perfect from the line. He was damn near perfect from the field. He was having a hell of a game. As soon as I mentioned it, boom, missed his first free throw of the night. Well, so not your, 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 your bad mojo 
your bad juju has rubbed off on me now, so it's no longer just the Jones jinx. It's the Smith & Jones jinx. I'm, I'm part of your, your bad vibes now, Jonesy. In fact, I might have to start blaming you for the Buffalo Bills because you started talking Bills and started saying that you're on the bandwagon and all of a sudden they lose. So I think it's you. I think it's you and your, your, your mojo. Might have to separate myself from you a little bit when it comes to sports. Okay. You do that, then watch. <laughs> you do that, and I, on my superstition scale of two, you do that, and then watch. Then watch what happens to you. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. If you think that's bad. <laughs> By the way, I was listening uh, before we came to air. I was listening to our guys, uh, Frank Isola and Brian Scalabrini, on NBA Radio, and and. As, as a, and I say this with, in, in all jest. I, I think you know. I don't care. They mentioned, they both mentioned, they were getting a ton of Toronto calls this morning. A ton of Toronto calls. Of course, because they were on with us. Well, but here's the thing. They referenced a couple times, yeah, up on the fan in Toronto with my guy Jonesy. Neither one of them mentioned that they were on with me as well. It's, so it's, apparently it's just the Paul Jones show. Because Scal said it at one point, yeah, with Jonesy. And then later on I saw it, like, yeah, with Jonesy. So I, I don't exist. So next time they're on, you just do the interview, and I'll just, I'll just kick back and go get my coffee when they're on. But they were getting tons yeah. of calls from Raptor fans, Jonesy, tons of calls. And I guess the fan base and – and listen, I'm not here to rag on the Raptor fan base by any means, but I want to I wanna at least maybe defend Toronto or defend the fan base a little bit to our guy Frank and Scal. Here's, and I actually hit them up on Twitter and said this. I think part of it is, A, just passion, one. And we talk about this all the time, right? Fan, yep. fanatic, fanaticism. That's where it comes from. That's the derivative. So I think part of it's passion. But I also think it's passion for a team and for a group of players that they haven't seen in person outside of six to eight weeks in two years. Like, we're talking about late February, the last home game. Then they hit the road. Then COVID starts in March of 2020. Then the bubble restart. Then Tampa. Then they finally come home, and we got, what, six weeks? Maybe eight? Because it was early December, that game, maybe mid, I guess, but early to mid-December, that game against Golden State, where we're shaved back to 50%, and then, boom, shut it down. So you maybe got eight weeks. So in two years, because we're now sitting at, what, the 8th, 9th of February? By the time right. All-Star break comes and goes, by the time the, the, the next phase of the you know, provincial opening whatever happens and it's 50% capacity, it's still not even 100%, we're basically going to be at the two-year mark where this fan base has seen their guys in person for six to eight weeks in two years. So that's where I defend the fan base that might be calling in to Scal and Frank and others saying, oh, Pascal Siakam was, was snubbed from the All-Star game, and that was the root of most of the calls today. Snub, snub, snub. I'm here to say, though, and I think I said it to you yesterday on the show, I definitely said it to you on the broadcast, I don't believe Pascal was snubbed. I think he was deserving, but there were four, five, six guys that were deserving. LaMelo was yeah. deserving. Bradley Beal yeah, arguably was yeah. deserving. You know, another guy from the Heat, whether it be Bam, whether it be Tyler Hero, was deserving. So Pascal was deserving, but I don't believe that he got snubbed. I agree. Uh, it was uh, a simple numbers crunch. And that's where somebody, you know, and I even kind of retracted and rescinded my own statement. Well, you know, just put another couple guys on. Okay, well, so you put another guy on and Pascal gets in. 
then what is Miles Bridges saying? What is, uh, you know, what is Zach, uh, uh, another one of the Bulls? Like, what, what are they saying? What's Kyle Lowry saying? You know, where, where do you, where's Bradley Beal saying? You know, what's Sabonis saying? So uh, you, you do have to have, you know, a, a, f a finite number there. Zach Levine made it. He was the one that came to mind because I knew DeMar, uh, DeMar was voted in. And, and I thought, uh, when I looked at it, I thought, because they announced that night we were playing Chicago. We were down at the, the, uh, the, the gym doing the Chicago game. And I thought, oh, Zach Levine should get in. And we did hear that. He was, he was one of the guys called just before Fred. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. The fan base, hey, they love their team. They love their team. So don't, you know, it's like a, like a proud parent. You, you just, you can't say anything. You know, that's the Raptor fan base is doing their LeVar ball. So what? You know what? Just, just live with it. They're not hurting anybody. It's not illegal. They're, they're championing the cause for their team and their guys. So, uh, you know, everybody else out there just got to take it in the chops. Yeah, and and and, and I, I will say without trying to parrot another radio show on another whole platform and network, um, but I, I you know I think Frank was right. If 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 anybody else didn't hear it, I'll kind of repeat quickly what he said, Jonesy. And I think it's a great way to to sort of um, uh, encapsulate what probably happened. And I think even Frank said this on our airwaves last week before it went down when we were asking him about All Star, and he, I believe he even said this to us. He thought that Lamella was going to make it initially. Now yeah, he, he was so also he also said he also said that that Van Vliet was going to be on the team and he was but part of the reason Frank was talking about um, Lamelo making the team was a couple of factors one Michael Jordan is the owner and Adam Silver in the league are they going to try and take care of the greatest player of all time having one of his guys probably yes if they have a chance to probably yes two and you said it yesterday as well the only team in the top ten when we talk about playoff slash play-in teams, the only team without a representative was the Charlotte Hornets. So LaMelo checks a box there, too. And with no disrespect intended to Pascal Siakam, he's clearly a star in this city, in this country, a fabulous player who's putting up career-high numbers, who's having a career year, who's having a better year than his All-Star year a few years ago, who's putting up numbers that are right in line with some of the best of the best in the league right now, putting up some historical-type numbers. But when we talk about, quote-unquote, star talent or star power or star name, and this is not a knock on Pascal at all, he is probably not the name, quote-unquote, that LaMelo Ball is simply because you just mentioned his dad. His dad helped make his family name, his son's name, bigger than maybe it could have been or should have been. But now, to their credit, the kids are proving that dad was maybe right for the hype machine. Lonzo's a hell of a player. LaMelo is now an all-star. He's the best player in the Charlotte Hornets. He's a showman. And what do you want at an all-star game? Showmanship. Flash and dash. Flair. Personality. And again, that's not to say Pascal doesn't have that. But LaMelo is arguably, or maybe not even arguably, Jonesy, more of a household name, probably globally, but certainly stateside, than what Pascal is. And again, that's not a criticism on Pascal. So when you check the box of Jordan, check the box of top 10 needing representation, check the box of the flash and dash, the star power, LaMelo fits a lot of those boxes. If somebody else gets injured, I think that Pascal's the first call. But right now, 
I don't disagree with LaMelo getting that nod. Yeah, I mean, both the kids and, and <laughs> Eric, I was at Summer League in Vegas and Leangelo Ball, as, as, as they called him, Jello, uh, was playing for the Charlotte uh, Hornets. And the crowd went crazy every time he got the ball. Um, so, yeah, LaVar's done his job in, in, in that case. And I, I don't have a problem uh, with LaMelo being, being part of the All-Star game. I really don't. He, he plays with a flair that back in the day some people would have, you know, called him a hot dog or a showboat. But that's the way he plays. And it's no different than the way, uh, you know, a Pete Maravich played or somebody like that. So, you know, it's something that uh, you got to live with. Well, LeVar Ball on line one, Colin Jonesy. Thanks for the love for my sons. Or is it the daily duct cleaning hey. phone call? One of, one of the two. Hey, they, one of the two. <laughs> they, des- they deserve the love. Hey, man, you make it to the NBA, two out of the three. That's tough to do, man. That is tough Absolutely. to do to get to the NBA. Uh, and, Absolutely. And then, and then to become well, a noteworthy player in the league, too. Because both um, Lonzo and LaMelo, they're not – they're not just like, oh, just a bench player, like, you know, a showpiece, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, something that you just kind of hold up as a, as a trophy on the end of the bench. These guys are playing and they're contributing significantly to their teams. I got to say, too, and, and, and I honestly don't mean this as criticism. I really don't because he still made it to a fairly high level himself. And, hey, he's still young enough. Maybe there's still a chance for him to crack through in the league. It's got to be tough to be Jello right now. Yeah. Like as much as you're, as much as you're proud of your brothers and happy for your brothers, that's got to sting. Like if 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 one of the three made it, well, at least two didn't. You can kind of share in the, you can share in the 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 woes or the you know the 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 no pun intended here the mellowness of not making it right. But when two of the three make it and you're the only one that doesn't, that's got to sting a little bit, right? Like that, you got to be a strong individual to still find the happiness and the joy in the rest of your family and in your brothers and still be proud of what you've done and what you've accomplished. Like, like I, I give him credit for sticking at his craft. And, and again, to his, um, to his credit for staying with it, I hope, I hope it works out. Like, I hope he can crack through and make it. And even if he doesn't make NBA, Jonesy, if he can still have a career and have a lengthy career, whether it be playing overseas somewhere, still continuing to play the game and, and, and making a living. Because that's the other thing, too, is that, um, and I know I'm guilty of this sometimes. I don't know about you, but I, I know I'm guilty of perhaps still looking at the NBA lens a little bit too much and not recognizing or appreciating the ability that you can have to play the game at so many different levels in so many different countries. And you might not be a multimillionaire, but you're still going to have a heck of a life. And a, and, a, and, a, and a heck of a life, and I'm talking financially speaking, comfort-wise, better than a lot of individuals out there. A lot of these leagues that you go to where you can still make hundreds of thousands of dollars, might not be millions, but how many people listening right now are making hundreds of thousands of dollars? And oh, by the way, if you're making a hundred grand or 200 grand or 300 grand, is your food paid for? Is your car paid for? Is your apartment or condo or home paid for? Because that's what a lot of these athletes are getting, not just in basketball, but in a lot of sports. Most of their expenses paid in addition to making a pretty decent salary as well. That's better than, I'd say, 90% of our listenership, if not more. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, here, here I go with my line again. Uh, the great Howard Cosell and uh, more recently uh, Heat 
President Pat Riley. We're the toy department. We're the entertainment. And that's that's what we are, uh, you know, when you work in sports. So, like you said, for us sometimes it's just enjoy the ride. Be along. Enjoy the ride. Uh, you know, Dr. Zeus, all the places you'll go and and uh, when it when it comes to when the, when the ride comes to an end, just be happy it happened. All right, we're gonna jump back to the Toronto Raptors in a couple of seconds here and their game last night, their victory last night, sixth straight uh, for the Raptors in the win column as they beat the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, final score of that ball game. Uh, what was the final score, anyways? One fifteen, one hundred one. I'm already forgetting. Um, yeah, I believe it was. For some reason, I just hit the refresh button on my computer and it showed me December fifth. 116-101, the final of that ballgame yeah. last night. 15-point win for the Raptors, up 15 at the half, cut to three in the second half, and ultimately when the dust settles, they win by 15. But wanted to mention this quickly. Boffo just put it up in our group chat. Maybe people have seen the alert on their phone. Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that the Portland Trailblazers and the New Orleans Pelicans are in serious discussions on a trade centered on guard C.J. McCollum. Sources telling... Woj and ESPN. So interesting to keep an eye on that one. And oh yeah, by the way, the Raptors will see the Pelicans next week. How about the schedule, Jonesy, for the Raptors? We mentioned this on our broadcast last night. We didn't make a big deal about it during the show yesterday, but maybe we should talk a little bit about it. They are now in OKC after flying late night from Charlotte to Oklahoma City, getting set for the game against the Thunder tomorrow. So you go Toronto to Charlotte, Charlotte to Oklahoma City, OKC to Houston. Houston back home for one game on Saturday night against Denver to only turn right back around and fly all the way back down to New Orleans after you were kind of right next door, sort of. Geography's off a little bit. But you were just there in Houston. You're coming all the way back home just to play one game to go back down to New Orleans, then go up north to Minnesota, before the All-Star break. Then after the break, hey, you know what? Go back down to Charlotte, then hit Atlanta, then go up to Brooklyn before you have a chance to come back home. The Raptors in a stretch now with eight of nine on the road and only separated by that one game against Denver. Like, this is a brutal schedule. Again, we've talked about this many times in the past. But when a human used to do the schedule, I think a human could look at it and go, ooh, that doesn't look so good. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem like competitive balance. When a computer spits this out, this is what you're left with. Like, that is, that, Jonesy, that's almost as bad as the one that the Raptors had a few years ago where they were in Utah on uh, the 23rd, red-eyed home for Christmas Eve, and then flew back out on Christmas Day. And, and basically had like a, a six, seven, eight game road trip that was almost entirely out west, but it was separated by, well, if you want to go home for Christmas for a couple of days, go ahead. But otherwise, you know, it's, it's this 14, 15 day road trip that is only broken up by the big man coming on the 25th. Well, it's all, it's all uh, as you said, computerized and based on building availability. And, uh, you know, are there any ed, ed, people in education out there listening? I'm not sure why you'd be listening now. Maybe you're on a break or something like that, or maybe you're in a car going from meeting A to meeting B. But if uh, I remember trying to <laughs> trying to do a timetable as a principal, and man, that was something else because you had to consider the kids and the teachers and 
and prep time and all of this. And it like it was, you know, uh, uh, it was a huge endeavor, uh, you know, like a, a, a month long uh, exercise to try and get everything right. And then when you did it, you left it up on the board. This is when it was done manually. You left it up on the board. Uh, you did it in June, but you left it up on the board until the second week of September and make sure everybody got through a cycle and there suddenly weren't two classes in one place with no teacher or two teachers in the same room or a class standing in the hallway because, yeah, I have we have French in there, but the room's being used for a geography class. And you just and right now they're doing it either doing it with a computer and you're right, a human doesn't look at it. And it's wacky sometimes when you step back and look at it from a common sense standpoint. It is wacky. But as we've always heard from the time we started doing this, it is what it is. It balances out. Everybody plays 82 and sometimes it's a little crazy. Everybody will have a complaint. I mean, we, we had Eric Collins on yesterday and Charlotte got what the Ra Charlotte has this year, what the Raptors got, I think, for two years in a row. All the West Coast stuff done before All-Star from the middle of January or late January till the end of the year. You only go to the central time zone a couple times for one-offs here and there. Uh, they've got a favorable schedule. Sometimes it, it goes your way, and that's, I guess, part of the evening out for times when, uh, you know, they had harsh schedules. But, I mean, you know, people talk about travel and the NBA. Eric, we've said it for years, and, and for our listeners that haven't, uh, you know, really clued in, our travel in Toronto is great. I mean, yeah. we've had assistant coaches from other teams come and say, oh, you know, I was going to Canada, I thought I was going to the hinterland, but, I mean, you look at the Raptors' travel. It's an hour to New York, an hour to Boston, uh, uh, 57 minutes to Washington, 38 minutes to, to Detroit. You don't, I mean, you barely get your seatbelt on and off, the, the flight to Detroit. 43 minutes across the lake to Cleveland. Uh, hour and 10, hour 20 to Chicago, Milwaukee. Uh, like the, the, the East travel, even Atlanta's a couple hours. Miami, Orlando might be the longest flights, you know, two and change. Close to, I don't even know if it's close to three hours. I, we just sit there and do our work and we get up, eat, and then boom, down you go. But you're in Minnesota. It's an hour and a half to the closest place. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're in Portland. Portland's travel is, is dreadful. So, you know, that that is something, too, that the Raptors, I think, have a little bit, they get a little bit of a break with the travel because of, you know, the proximity uh, to the border and, and where Toronto sits geographically. No, no doubt about that. No doubt. I mean, I just, I just called up the, uh, the. I, I love the way that you were throwing out the numbers too. Like I'm thinking, does he have this? Like uh, you were just making up the numbers. But you're right. You're, you're, you're pretty damn close to, to those, to those guesses and those, that speculation. I suppose 38 minutes, 40. You sound like a pilot though. Like so official, Jonesy. Like you actually know these numbers. But you look at the well, NBA map, and outside of, as you said, Orlando, Miami, I'm, I'm counting here. If you even include two West Coast teams, or Western Conference teams, not West Coast, but Western Conference, Minnesota and Memphis, you're looking at 17 teams that are all within three hours or less, and 15 of those teams pretty much two hours or less, two and a half at most, if you take out Orlando and Miami. 
and you're talking well, about your entire conference being three hours or less, whereas Portland or 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 like the Clippers or something like that. Yeah, Minnesota. Like Jim LaBombard, the old media relations director for the Raptors. Shout out Jim LaBombard, who's working for the league office now and has for a few years. He used to say how brutal it was when he worked for the Timberwolves because not just geographically where they are located and how long so many of their flights are, especially when you're talking about back-to-backs because nobody's close to them. Like, nobody's close to them. At least if you're Portland, you could kind of say, well, at least if we're playing Sacramento or Golden State, Northern California, it's not that far. Minnesota is not close to anybody in their conference. If they're playing like Chicago or Milwaukee or maybe Indiana, okay, yeah. But otherwise, like you're looking at, what, Denver? OKC, Memphis, maybe, as the three closest to Minnesota. Like, Minnesota's got it absolutely brutal. And he would say it's bad because of geography, but also it's the time zone, too. So for the Raptors and so many teams in the East, there are only a couple of clubs, Milwaukee and Chicago, where you got to deal with the time zone. Otherwise, East, period. You're in the West, Central, Mountain, Pacific, you're hopscotching through a couple of different time zones, a few different time zones, let alone if you're going east as well in the midst of a same trip. It can be brutal, brutal for teams in the West, but especially a club like Minnesota. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. And, and uh, you know, I think, I think the Raptors, uh, you know, they, 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 they get, a, get a little bit of a break there. And, you know, that's the other thing, too. You come into Scotiabank Arena, going back to the start of our show, um, you come in here, there is a decided home court advantage with the energy from the fans and, and, and what they give you and, um, you know, the way they, they influence, uh, maybe influence officials or coaching decisions on the other side and, and because of players uh, being impacted by the fans. Like, there's, there's, there's so much to it. And a good fan base is really, really is really, really helpful. Well, the home fan base at Scotiabank Arena, I mean, first of all, they can't see their team right now. A few weeks away from at least getting 50% capacity back, but or a couple weeks, I should say. But only, again, one more home game the rest of this month. Raptors in the midst of a three-game road trip, coming home for one, then a five-game road trip, which at least is broken up by the All-Star break. They come home for three to start March, then go back on the road for six to come home for one to go back out on the road for two. So by the time, Jonesy, March 24th, what the hell is the date today? The 8th? 8 plus 7 is 15, plus 7 is 22. So in the next six weeks, in the next six weeks, the Raptors have five, count them, five home games in the next six weeks. That's a little crazy. That's nuts. That's nuts. But <clears throat> you make a muscle, you, you, you buckle up, and you, you play them, and you get through them. It's the NBA. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. And if a team's down, you say, uh, really sorry, you're having such a hard time. But we'll take the win. We'll, we're we're going to try and beat you anyway. <laughs> All right. King of the segue here. Making a muscle. Good time to bring up Chris Boucher. Lance, I think, has a, uh, a little comment ready from head coach Nick Nurse. Yesterday, Jonesy, Chris Boucher, um, off the bench, eight points, six rebounds, couple of blocks, played 19 minutes, 
statistically speaking, solid game, but not necessarily jumping off the page like he has quite a bit of late. He started the season slow, quiet, trying to find his way sort of back into the 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 the, the lineup, the rotation, finding his role, finding his groove like he had last year. And he suddenly has caught fire these last, what, at least four weeks, if not longer, where he is a legitimate piece of this team now and has solidified himself, his role, his mark with this club. He has, and he's done a great job. Um, you know, I, I saw this the other day and really kind of had to think about it. He is the Raptors' all-time leader in double-doubles for a bench player. All-time. And that's... You know, that you think of the people that have been here and come off the bench and how they played. That, that's, that's, uh, that's quite an accomplishment for Chris Boucher. Okay, let's hear from Nick Nurse on Chris Boucher, and then we're going to hear from Chris himself. But here's Nick Nurse on Boucher. One of the things that, that we always say, you know, there's, there's a lot of, not a lot, but, you know, a bunch of guys that can have a good game here and there. Right. And to really know you've kind of arrived in this league is can you do it consistently? And I and I always say that, like, you know, you're never going to do it five out of five nights. No, nobody plays good every night. Right. But, you know, where where do you fall on that? Or, you know, and I would say Chris was like a two or three out of five guy. And now he's become almost a four out of five guy, which is about what you can do. So he, he impacts the game positively you know, four out of five nights. And that's just come from, from a lot of, a lot of different development areas for him. He's become so much better defender other than just the, the spectacular block shots. You know, he's, he's really becoming chasing guys off screens. He's, he's reading the, reading the help defensive situations, right. And uh, things like that. There is Nick nurse on Chris Boucher. Let's hear from Chris himself. Uh, upon hearing about some of the coach's comments. And uh, here was uh, Boucher's reaction. Make the right plays. Um, it feels good. I mean, obviously, I think uh, that's something that you want out of your coach. You want your coach to think that uh, that you, you can put you in the game and you can change the game and have confidence in you. So it definitely feels good to know that. Uh, jokes aside, I should have been doing that a long time ago. So <laughs> I'll say that. But, I, you know, never too late. To, you know, you're never too late to do the right thing and figure out your game and find ways to be a winning team. And like Masai said, um, we want to win, so we have a game to win. Any play that I have to do for us to win, that's what I'm focusing on now. There is Chris Boucher and Jonesy. We're going to play another comment from Boucher uh, maybe when we come back from the commercial leading into our next segment with Michael Grange because his name has come up in trade rumors and rumblings and speculation with the deadline on Thursday. And at this point, it's got to be difficult, I would imagine, for Masai Ujiri, for Bobby Webster, to even if they were entertaining. And who knows if there's any fact or fiction to these rumors. But if, if, if they were entertaining the possibility they got to be looking at this right now going, oh, hold on a second. Are we going to find something better than what we've got in Chris if he can continue to play at this level and, and with these kind of contributions? You know, we're, we're looking at all these, and we'll ask, we'll ask Michael Grange, the uh, same way we asked Doug Smith yesterday. I mean, there's all these names out there, and guys that the Raptors, you know, might be interested in. That's fine. What are you going to give up? And, and do you ascribe to the theory, at least right now, I'm not talking about the offseason where, you know, there's, there's bound to be change, but do you kind of leave well enough alone the way this team is coming together? Uh, you know, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. <laughs> like, where, 
where do you where do you where do you go with all of that? And uh, I don't know. I'm kind of hanging on to Chris Boucher right now. I'm 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 not selling. I'm buying right now the way he's playing lately. And I know he's an expiring contract, but he's not like a huge expiring contract. And you know, he's probably a guy that would relish the coming back to Toronto on another deal and and could help you out. So I, I you know, he, he's a guy I'm not in a hurry to get rid of. Um, just quickly before we step aside here and we'll come back as we just mentioned with Michael Grange and more on Chris Boucher, Sham Sharania now reporting in addition to the uh, tweet and the mention uh, that we had earlier on Adrian Wojnarowski in regards to the Blazers and the Pelicans. Shams is saying that New Orleans is on the verge of adding CJ McCollum and he's saying that Portland uh, is working to acquire uh, a package that would include draft compensation and Josh Hart among others, from the Pelicans. So we will have more on that uh, as it unfolds here over the course of the next couple of hours. But when we continue, our friend, our colleague from Sportsnet, Michael Grange, on the Raptors and the trade deadline and the six-game winning streak and more on Smith & Jones. Everything you need to know about all things Raptors. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Folks, today is Safer Internet Day, and TikTok's got you covered with great resources to keep your teen's online experience safe. Just go to tiktok.com safety. There, you'll find TikTok's well-being guide, community guidelines, and a guardian guide with details on TikTok's family pairing feature. This is where you can set up parental controls and privacy settings. You'll also find advice on how to talk to your teens about online safety. TikTok has you covered this Safer Internet Day. Learn how to talk to your teens about online safety at tiktok.com slash safety. We continue here on Smith & Jones looking at the NBA trade deadline coming up on Thursday. Lots of rumors and speculation flying around. We're hearing now in the last 10-15 minutes about a pending deal, it sounds like, between the Pelicans and Blazers involving C.J. McCollum. Um, but the rumor mill circulating with the Raptors as well. What might Toronto do, if anything? One of the guys that has come up in, again, the rumor mill, the speculation, is Chris Boucher. After the ball game last night, Chris was asked about hearing his name in the rumor mill. Think we're just focusing on the next game. Seriously, um, those are the things that will bother your game. You know, I'm, I know myself. I know, you know, I'm lucky to be in the NBA and do what I'm doing and, you know, being able to help my family and all that. And I don't think um, this is something that should bother me right now. Like I said, I, you know, I love the game and I love Toronto. I think we're playing really well and, you know, it's a business at the end of the day and I know that, but um, and I don't want it to be something that bothers uh, my game. You know, like I said, we've been in a streak. We've been playing so well that um, that's the last thing in my mind. Um, the trade deadline, whatever happens, happens with uh I'm focusing on the games and the next game and how to make this team win. All right, there is Chris Boucher bringing into the conversation now uh, from Sportsnet, sportsnet.ca, covering the Raptors and the NBA, Michael Grange. Michael, we always appreciate your time, and I'll hit you right off the bat. Do you think that Boucher is one of those guys that's sort of centered in any potential deal that the Raptors may or may not make? I'd be very surprised. I think he... um... I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is, you know, the only, the only way I think he would figure in a deal if, is if there was something bigger and they needed to 
that salary. So so already you've got um, Dragic at 19 million. So Bush, you throw Chris Boucher into something here at 27, you know, 26, 27 million. You know, so all of a sudden you're really, you know, going big game hunting, so to speak. I don't think that's where the Raptors are. And I think independent of that, you know, he's a player that offers a special value for the Raptors. And I think the way he's really embraced the role he's in the last, you know, as he said, basically, since that Cleveland disaster around uh, around Christmas time on Boxing Day. Um, you know, this is a guy you want in your program. And, and I think from the other point of view, you know, I don't think he's a player who would command much more than the middle level as a free agent. So I don't think if you're an acquiring team, you're you're going to, you know, kind of throw the kitchen sink to, to grab him because he's a player if you really, really wanted, you could probably get with, uh, you know, with the middle level in the, in the off season. But I think I think he's I think he's a guy the Raptors want to keep around. And Michael, I think the fact too that people are talking about him in deals and his name is being thrown around. Uh, tells you about his value. I mean, the fact that, uh, look, people forget that before the Raptors had him, he was with a pretty good organization in Golden State. So you've got a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of places that that were able to identify him and and see his worth and his value. And I'm with you. I think he's got one of those friendly contracts that uh he, he's a he's a bargain at times he really really is and why would you why would you get rid of that for something that you don't know i just i i think he's coming into his role nicely too and um you know he's he he's also a good teammate in that sense you're, you're never going to get a guy he's not going to be never going to be a guy that's going to make noise if he's not playing yeah no he, he's he's a known commodity or quantity here and uh again i think um, you know, he had to figure some stuff out, right? Last year, we were in a really free and easy type situation. He was able to kind of flex his muscles offensively and very naturally, as, as you'd want anyone to do, you'd want him to kind of go and explore what the limits of that are. So that he worked a lot on that in the offseason, maybe being able to attack closeouts, being able to put the ball on, on the floor a little bit, winning before he shoots, some of those attributes. And... You know, he, it didn't work, right? And 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 he realized that maybe that's not where his game is right now. And yet, he has tremendous value uh, as a high energy player, a disruptor at both ends. Um, I think he's, and I think the interesting thing about Chris is there's still upside. The guy's 29 years old, but he's such a late bloomer. Um, you know, he really wasn't playing in a serious basketball setting until he was 19 or 20 years old, and. Um, even in his progress in the NBA, it's been kind of incremental in terms of the, his role and things like that. Um, there's been a tendency just to slot him as, you know, run rim to rim, to rim and, you know, try and chase every shot. Well, you know, I think he's he's got the athleticism and the ability to be a, a really good switchy defender, a guy who can chase guys around screens, who can uh, kind of use his length to gap on, on smaller ball handlers and, you know, if that's where, you know, you kind of referenced some of that stuff last night, if that's where he's throwing his energy and that's where there's growth to be had, he can be a very, very special player. So I, I don't think the Raptors would be in any rush to, to move off move off of him. Uh, Jonesy, uh, uh, 
Michael, um, sorry, I think we just had an internet issue there for a second, uh, but we, we've got you into the mix here. Um, wanted to get your reaction just quickly, Michael, before we talk more about the Raptors uh, on a trade that looks like it's happening as we speak. Sean Frania reporting as you've been speaking these uh, last couple of minutes. Uh, Portland is finalizing the trade for C.J. McCollum with the New Orleans Pelicans with Josh Hart. Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Thomas Sadoransky going to Portland along with draft compensation for C.J. McCollum. I'm sure there might be more to it, Michael, when it's truly finalized, all said and done, but with those names being thrown out there, what's kind of your instant gut reaction to, to that deal and the Pelicans' acquisition of McCollum? I think it's a, it's a pretty good deal for the Pelicans. I mean, I, I think that's an organization that's on notice, right? Like they, uh, you got... Uh, President of Basketball Operations and Dave Griffin, who's, you know, he's promised a lot, and uh, those a lot of those plans and promises have been uh, undone by Zion Williamson's foot. But um, I don't think they're in a situation where they can they can be seen as, as tanking. I, I think this helps them get better. I think CJ McCollum has rides a lot. I think he, he would help them whether Williamson gets back or not, and. Uh, you know, so I think it's a, it's not exactly a win now move because it's not like CJ McCollum's, you know, he's still got years to, a lot to give. But, but I think it's a team that, that needs to compete. Um, and, you know, if and when Zion comes back, I think this makes them better. I think what's interesting to me is in Portland, um, you know, there, there's a report out of Portland that, you know, there's some rumor that the Trailblazers might be up for sale or could be getting prepared for a sale. And I think when you look at some of the moves that they've made, you know, with the, the trade with the Clippers the other day and involving Norm Powell and now this one getting off of uh, their money they owed to C.J. McCollum, I think they've cleared about $60, $70 million off their future salary obligations. Like, I can't give you the numbers exactly, but it, it's a significant amount of money. I think just the, the McCollum side of it, it's about $40 million. So they're getting younger, they're cheaper, um, and... You know, you kind of wonder if if they're positioning themselves to, you know, get out in the marketplace and make themselves a little bit more attractive to a buyer. That's that's not my reporting. That's uh, some reporting from some really good people in Portland. But um, you know, it's it, you know, it's hard to look at these deals from a competitive standpoint and to see them as a team that's, you know, them getting a lot better. And in terms of future assets, it depends what New Orleans puts into this. But I mean, they only got a second for. Uh, Covington and Powell, that doesn't seem like a great return. Um, and, you know, we'll see exactly what they get out of this deal with New Orleans. But, um, you know, it's not exactly a, a ransom. Michael, looking at Portland going forward, I mean, just while we're on this, what do you think happens with Damian Lillard? Like if you said, if they're trying to make this attractive to buyers and kind of strip it down and, you know, before you sell the house, uh, and, and you know somebody else wants to buy it and fix it up, you, you do some of that work for them. You get rid of some of the furniture. You, you, you know, you sand down and refinish a couple of the floors. Like, you, it, 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 if that's the case in Portland, what happens with Damian Lillard? I don't know. I, I mean, I, like, I don't think he's coming back to Portland unless he, he you know, he gets that extension. Um, and, you know, again, to your point, if, the, there's some uncertainty about the future direction of the team, and uh, you know you've got to sign Damian Lillard to an extension that pays him more than I think it's, it would end up being about sixty million dollars four years out from now. That's a huge commitment. Um, and if you're in Dame Lillard's shoes, 
you know, he's been the loyal soldier for a long time. And I think if, if he wanted to take this opportunity to say, you know what, maybe our time here has come to an end, he would almost in some ways have the moral high ground, right? Because you've traded his running partner in CJ. You've, you know, you've kind of really traded to save money and get young. And that doesn't really compute when you look at where um, Dame is in his career. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, you know, even a bigger teardown coming in Portland this summer, and uh, and you know Dame Lillard ends up somewhere else. Speaking with Michael Grange from Sportsnet, Raptors getting set for their next game uh, tomorrow night against the Oklahoma City Thunder, the first night of the back-to-back as they will be in Houston on Thursday. Three games and four nights for the Raptors following their victory last night over the Hornets. Uh, Michael, jumping back to Toronto, and, and we were talking trades or potential trades, the rumor mill, etc., Chris Boucher's name being thrown out there. If he's not part of anything... Um, I, is there anybody, and I, listen, I, I, I always walk the fine line, as we say, about you know trying to dip our toe into the, the rumor and fantasy by just creating things, because these are guys' lives and livelihoods and careers and whatever else. But is there somebody that you think is more, uh, has a greater potential being moved outside of Goran Dragic? Like, I think we all believe that if Toronto can move him in the right deal, they're going to do so. But is there somebody else on the roster that should be kind of keeping on their eye on their phone right now or, or maybe not wanting to pick up their phone in the next, you know, 36 hours or so? Well, I'm sure Malachi Flynn is calling people, right? Like, I mean, you know, he's a guy who's, who's uh, you know, completely fallen out of the Raptors' rotation. He's clearly lost any trust that Nick Nurse may have been willing to extend to him to the, to the extent he ever had any. So I think it's, you know, he's a guy I'm sure would welcome the opportunity to kind of go and rebuild his, his, his value because, you know, I think it's uh, it's just one of those situations where, where it hasn't worked out. Um, you know, but the problem when you can construct deals or look at deals or potential deals and, and is the Raptors really don't have that much um, after Dragic's contract that I think would be particularly interesting to anyone. Like they... You know, that is the problem. That's why they're playing six or seven guys uh, maximum minutes. They're just, once you get past that, there's just not anyone that that uh, Nick Nurse feels like he can trust. And if he can't trust them, I don't think, you know, there's anyone, you know, there's anyone in the league that's going to kind of be knocking down the Raptors' door to, you know, pick up Svee Mahalik. Mahalik. I mean, no offense to Svee. So I think uh, really it's going to be Goran. It's going to be some version of picks. And it's going to be, you know, if necessary, any of the, you know, the minimum contracts, you know, rookie-type contracts they have to kind of round out a deal. I think, you know, Preston Sachua is a player that I think probably still generates some interest. I think he's shown, obviously, some signs in the last months or six weeks of, you know, you can kind of see the glimmer, right? Like, you can, everyone's yeah. kind of light goes yeah. on there, and you're like, wow, this is a pretty special package of ability here. And you don't want to be the team that gives up on them too soon. And so I think there is a context where a team would go, you know what, you know, we see what you see, and and yeah, we'll do this deal, but we want Precious. So I think he would be the the, the only guy who who kind of fits into that category there. Michael, I know we're, we're running up against the clock, but when I look around the East, is there any team that you look at and say, man, they got to make a move, uh, they or they better make a move, and and. Who do you see in the, in that category trying to do something and maybe vault up the standings and, and become more serious come playoff time? 
Well, the Raptors are one, right? Like, I think it would be a real uh, – I don't think it would be a good thing if they don't take this opportunity with Dragic's expiring deal. Basically, they're a pretty good team, and they can add to their rotation, which is not very deep, by, you know, moving elements that aren't even in their rotation. So, in other words, Dragic's contract and maybe a first-round pick. So, if they don't if they don't do that, I think it's a missed opportunity. So, I think if they, they would be very high on my list of a team that has to do something. I think... You know, bigger picture, right? Like that situation between Philadelphia and Brooklyn is, it's a mess, right? And, you know, I think Brooklyn, you know, I'm not sure either team can kind of justify, uh, you know, finishing, finishing the season out the way it's playing out. I think, you know, I think if you're Philly, you owe something to Joel Embiid to try and make your team better with the assets you have available. And if you're Brooklyn, um, you have to be honest with yourself and, and, you know, is James Harden somebody you want to tie your franchise to? Clearly, he doesn't want to be there. Um, he's completely untrustworthy in my mind. He's now this will be the second major major order team he's blown up. Um, and uh, you know, and even with Kyrie Irving, there's another question mark. So I think, you know, before Brooklyn, uh, you know, they've got Kevin Durant, who's maybe you know the most valuable player in the game. And so you want to think long and hard if you want to, you know, how you want to maximize that opportunity you have with Kevin Durant. Michael, appreciate the time and insight as always. And uh, I guess we'll see you at some point later this week. All the best. Okay, guys. Thank you. There is Michael Grange from Sportsnet. Again, the Raptors coming off the victory last night over the Hornets. Their sixth straight getting set for the Oklahoma City Thunder tomorrow. And then on trade deadline day, they will face, later on that evening, the Houston Rockets on the back-to-back before coming home to host the Nuggets on Saturday night. We'll have more on the Raptors and the NBA uh, coming up as well, but want to remind you, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones. Wherever you get your podcast. please rate and review and share as well. You can find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Back with more in a moment. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and English. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast please rate review and share as well uh jonesy more coming in on this uh rumored deal it certainly sounds like it's happening as adrian warjanowski now tweeting similar to what sham Sharania did about uh 10 i love watching these two go to toe toe to toe like i you know i believe they're still friendly they used to be colleagues now they're competitors and i mean one gets like one detail and then the other gets another detail and they're rushing to try and get it out like honestly there's no point in anybody in the NBA trying to fight and scratch and claw to try and break a trade or a story because it's coming from one of these two guys 98% of the time. Like, there are fabulous writers and insiders out there from Mark Stein to Mark Spears to Chris Haynes and Tim Bontemps and Brian Windhorst, but like 98% of the time, it's Shams or Woj. Just like in football, it's Adam Schefter. Or in baseball, it's Ken Rosenthal. I mean, like, whether it's the connections with the agents or the presidents or the GMs or both and players, like, 
These dudes get it every single time. Am I wrong? You're on it, E. Uh, they do, and they, um, they're connected. And um, dare I say they're also, uh, uh, what word am I looking for? Devices or outlets <laughs> that management use, too, to put something out. And they know it's coming from a reputable source. So mm-hmm. management must have some inkling or, or, or knowledge behind what they're saying. And I'm sure that's part of it. Uh, let's float this with Woj or with Shams and see what's said. And, hey, who knows? Maybe they're behind the curtain, too, and they know they're floating it for someone. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch. And this is, this is uh, the time when it all happens. Now, draft time, free agency. It's, it's kind of fun to sit back. And uh, as, as, uh, as we have been told, too, and we have seen, Beware the fake Woj accounts and the fake Shams accounts that sometimes uh, get people to step into a, a, a trap or a, a rabbit a rabbit trap that is that is not good that you don't get out of. Okay, so as we continue to speak here, there's more coming in, um, more details. Like I, 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 this is how you get away from the fake accounts. If you haven't done this already, folks, if you're an NBA fan, and even to my to my media friends, put notifications on on Twitter, just at least for the next couple of days. If you want to shut them off after, because then you will get it automatically. Boom, it pops up on your phone. You don't need to worry about being tricked by something you see on your timeline or something that somebody retweeted or something. You'll get the actual tweets from the actual person sent to your phone as a notification. So, Jonesy, I'm, I'm scrolling through right now. 10.59, Woj. 11.02, Woj. 11.05, Woj. So as the details are coming in, I'm starting to love this trade more and more from a Pelican's perspective, and I'm continuing to scratch my head as to what the Blazers are doing. Like, I, I didn't totally get the trade with the Clippers and the return or lack thereof that they got for Robert Covington and Norm Powell. And now I'm looking at, and I know there are expiring contracts and, and everything else that play into this, so it's financial ramifications on both sides. But initially I was thinking, and I don't know if I'm putting words in or, or thoughts in your brain too, but my gut reaction was, my initial gut reaction was, C.J. McCollum, pretty damn good player, all-star level player, yep. like 20 yep. points per night, period, like solid, solid dude, like let alone player, but person, individual, leader, like you're adding him to the Pelicans, and yeah, they might be 10, 11 games below 500, but they're in that plane right now. And you start projecting forward and thinking, okay, if we can ever get Zion Williamson back and healthy, yep. and we've still got Brandon Ingram, we didn't give him up, and we got a solid vet and a big man in Jonas Valanciunas, like, hmm, got a pretty good little core there of guys. All right. Well, yeah, McCollum for Josh Hart. Eh, all right. Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Okay. Thomas Sadoransky. Well, hold on a second. Why are you getting three guards back, three shooting guards, three combo guards back? Like, something else has got to be happening here. You're getting no forwards back, no no bigs back. Like, I, like I, I'm, I'm a little confused by the haul or the lack thereof. Now, we find out in, in addition, apparently, according to Woj, McCollum is going to the Pelicans with 
Larry Nance and Tony Snell. There's two other pretty good pieces for the Pelicans. Yeah, yeah. Some shooters around Zion uh, and, and a rebounder, uh, a, a kind of live body, uh, you know, big who can rebound. Larry Nance Jr. step out and shoot the three a little bit. Uh, one of the, you know, classic new age uh, stretch bigs that the NBA is playing with, with length, athletic. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's sounding better. It's sounding better. I mean, I thought it sounded okay when it was just C.J. McCollum, but the fact that they're now yeah. getting Larry Nance and Tony Snell, I like that move for the Pelicans big time. Now, going the other way, those same players that I just mentioned, Sadoransky, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Josh Hart, future first-round pick and a future second-round pick, but the first-round pick is apparently protected. If it lands between 5 and 14, the pick will go to the Blazers. So if it's top four, it ain't going to them. Ah... Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Sadoransky, a protected first and a second for McCollum, Nance, and Snell. Hmm. Ah, man, I, I tell you, listen, even if you like what the Blazers are doing, and I don't, I've got to assume, and I, there's no way to know this, I'm just, I'm just guessing, I don't think Damian Lillard likes what's happening. Like, if he's looking at who the Blazers have acquired over the last less than a week in two separate deals now with the Clippers and Pelicans, if I'm Dame Lillard, get me out ASAP. I've been here a while. I got to take some of the blame. I got to take some of the heat. Give me my slice of the pie. But you know what? It ain't happening. Move me. Yeah, and, and maybe he's just sitting quietly uh, and has said, "Move me," and I'm I'm done for the season. But uh, I'll I'll use between now and June to pack up my locker, <laughs> and uh, in September I'll be somewhere else. So, uh, yeah. I, I, again, I feel badly for Chauncey Billups, right? Like I feel badly for uh, a new coach who came into a situation. He comes in. He's got Lillum, uh, Lillard, and and McCollum, and one of the this, these dynamic backcourts with, you know, they've been up and down. They haven't maybe gone as far as they thought they could or everybody thought they could. They did get to a conference finals only to be beaten by Golden State. But you come in there as Chauncey Billups, like, okay, I got some stuff to work with. And then everything just starts falling apart around you. Uh, injuries, GM fired. You know, Michael Green just talked about a, a potential. I mean, everything's on the table in terms of a sale. And now here you are. You know, what's what's my future here? You got to be you got to have that somewhere in the back of your head. Are, are you going to be patient with me and give me a chance to rebuild this thing? Maybe he's in on we don't know. Maybe he's in on some of this. Maybe he's been talking with um, whoever's making the decisions. But then again, if they go out and hire a general manager and the guy says, well, this isn't my guy, and he has that one move to make, if Chauncey doesn't do what this person uh, wants him to do or isn't successful doing it, he's going to make the move and bring in his own guy. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're bang on. Um, 
Listen, we were going to hear from Pascal Siakam. We can do that later on because uh, there's no need really to jump back to the Raptors right now as we continue talking about uh, the Portland Trailblazers, the Western Conference, the trade deadline approaching. Uh, we bring into the conversation uh, our friend from the LA Times, Dan Wicke. Dan, thanks for the time as always. Yeah, take that spicy pee. Get in line behind me today. <laughs> yeah. Behind Dan. Moderately. Behind moderately Dan. Get, get out of your get, get out of your spicy pee. Get get in line behind moderately seasoned D. Dan. <laughs> so, morning, so Dan, um, uh, give, give me your well, – we're, we're good. We're good. Uh, we're both good. I'm answering for Jonesy. Um, give me your gut, your take on, on this Portland deal because I, 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 I just finished saying, I don't know if you agree – I'm scratching my head as to what the Blazers are doing. Like, I, I'm not scratching my head in terms of why they're doing it. It ain't working. They're trying to tear down. They're trying to rebuild. But what they've got in return in these two separate deals for Covington and Powell with the Clippers and now giving up McCollum and Nance and Snell in this deal with the Pelicans, uh, I am not loving the return on either side of those trades with the Clips and Pelicans. Guys, if you're going to be bad, at least be cheap. Like, honestly, and, and that's that's the takeaway for me on this, is that if you're going to spend money, if you're not going to be a good basketball team, uh, don't spend a lot of money. And so, you know, in turning C.J. McCollum and, you know, Norman Powell, that's uh, a lot of money in a lot of years, right, uh, for both those players, big, long contracts. That, to me, is all I see, you know, and they they do return some assets in, the, in these deals, minor ones, you know, like, Look, if I'm Portland, I'm working the phones pretty hard on Josh Hart. You know, um, can I get first-round picks for him? Um, I'm sorry, a first-round pick for him, maybe in a nice young player from a contender. I mean, I think Josh Hart's a pretty plug-and-play dude. But, you you know, I mean, this is obviously a a full-on rebuild. Um, They still have Damian Lillard, and they're going to try to build around him, I guess. But... I, I kind of had the thought the other day, is there anybody in America who took a job thinking it would be one thing and it became something totally different more than Chauncey Billups, you know, who, who took the job thinking he was working for Neil Olshay, thinking he had uh, Damian Lillard and um, CJ McCollum, and here we are today, Neil Olshay gone, CJ McCollum gone, and the totally new era of Portland basketball. Uh, Dan, I, I got one guy who took a job that thought he might be getting something else, and it's the other guy that, you know, we always talk about. Eric and I always mention it. Stephen Silas thought he was getting Russell Westbrook who could that be, and, and James Harden. Oh, Stephen Silas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah and, he ended up, th- and he ended I, I up with Jalen Green. Eric's Frank Vogel card. No, no, no. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, that's coming. That's coming as we talk about trade deadlines and and, yeah. uh, and a contract that is a millstone around somebody's neck and what's going on with Russell Westbrook. But that's sure. that's 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 down the line. Uh, that's to come. Yeah, exciting. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> in, in Portland, though, like, what do you think, Chauncey? I mean, do you think they're including him on this, or is he totally on? Like, we have no idea of knowing, but... Uh, I, I just I said it at the end of the show yesterday or the day before when we were talking about the you know the NFL coaching situation with minorities like how you don't always get the best shot and you don't always get recycled and you know as you said mm-hmm. Chauncey went with one thing in mind and I mean who knows like he's he's got to be he, he it's in the back of his mind it's got to be what the hell is going on here. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's a chaotic situation, right? And in, in an already chaotic season, I think what we're seeing, Jonesy, and, and you know, as an NBA vet yourself, right? Like you being around this league, when you see upheaval in a front office, right? Like Portland interim general manager and stuff like that. Typically, the people then who drive decisions are ownership, right? Like the interim, you can sit mm-hmm. here and say like, oh, the interim GM has full autonomy to do whatever he wants. But that interim, right, like, that's a that's a heavy word to come in front of general manager uh, when it comes to making decisions about a team. So I would imagine John Tebow is partly involved, but, like, these seem like ownership-driven deals, right? Like, a directive that if we're going to rebuild, we need to do so. We need to save money. We need to get below the tax. We need to create space if we're going to re-sign Anthony Simons if he's important to us. Like, we need to line up our, our, our ducks in a row for that, Um you know, and, and not so much add salary, not so much, you know, try to compete to be the, the nine seed. Um, you know, this is a clear decision. And, and I think, you know, to your point about Chauncey, I would, I, I would say that on one hand, um, he is somebody who um, has a lot of, like, a lot of fans around the NBA. Um, you know, like, he could have been a front office guy. Uh, he decided to go the coaching route, like, it seemed like he had options. I mean, he's been in broadcasting. He's had options. Um, however, like, you know, the Portland hire in Portland, you know, because of some accusations in John's past was controversial, too. So you wonder, you know, like, would another organization go down that road? Um, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, and, and so you do, you do feel for a guy who's in a situation, um, like, you know, I don't want to say sold the bill of goods, right? Like, this is part of the job. Uh, but, but his job has changed, certainly. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? And, and we will go from get them over the hump to, to he's going to have to develop young players and he's going to have to be good at it. Dan, I'm about to break one of my steadfast rules here. Much to the uh, pleasure Ooh. of uh, yeah, our guy, our guy Bobby Duncan, who hits us up on Twitter all the time and, and tells me, you have to talk about rumors because we love rumors as fans. So, Bobby, this is for you. Okay. Jonesy, how many times have I done this in 20 years? Like maybe less than five. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've hold on, hold on. I'm going on. Hold on, hold on. I'm going on my balcony to look for the comet. Yep. I don't do this very often, Dan. Nice. But I'm I'm going to create my own little fantasy trade here. Is there any possibility? Any possibility that there could be a marriage between the Lakers and the Blazers in a Russell Westbrook Damon Lillard swap? Uh, no, um, I don't think so because the Lakers just don't have the, um, well, first of all, why would Portland, I mean, if Portland's trying to get off like a lot of money, I mean, you don't want to pay Russ Westbrook $47 million next year, first of all. But they have, right? but correct me but if I'm wrong, doesn't Lillard have uh, 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 at least an extra They're, year, if not two Lillard, beyond what Russ yeah. is owed? Yes, he does. Yeah, he is, he is too, but. He also, though, is somebody that um, you should actually get, like, good – sorry, that sounds mean. I don't mean – he sounds like someone you should get good assets for, okay? And, um, you know what I mean? And the Lakers just don't have – I mean, if you're going to trade Damian Lillard or when you trade Damian Lillard, like, that's got to come with good young players and first-round picks, right? Like, there is a uh, a tried-and-true sort of formula for, for what you – for, for what you get back when you trade a player like that. Like, I mean, I'd go as far back as, you know, in my mind, like the mellow trade 
um, between Denver and New York, right? You get a young Danilo Gallinari, you get Wilson Chandler, you get a couple picks. Like that's the type of deal you do. I, I, the Lakers, I mean, hypothetically, like could be like, all right, we'll do Westbrook in a 2027 first round pick for Damian Lillard. And like, I don't care how much money ownership wants to save. I'll tell you one way they would save money. They'd hang up the phone to, to not take on those long distance charges. It would be quick, a quick click. They want to use their minutes. I know none of these things are even things anymore. Everybody just calls each other on their cell phone, but you get the point. Um, it, it, I thought you were, I thought you were going to ask me about a different Russell Westbrook. I, I don't think they're a Lillard marriage. Um, I think a more interesting one is like, maybe, I don't know. Does, 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 does Philly pick up the phone? Well, listen, somebody's got to pick if up we're the gonna phone. Talk yeah. Damon, Damon a, Lillard a, does not want to be in Portland, like, especially after these last two trades. If I'm Lillard, I'm, I'm wanting out of Portland so badly right now. Like, forget trying to build around me now. I want out. Well, I look at a team like Philadelphia, right? So Damon Lillard not healthy currently right now, right? Like, who knows when he'll be back and be able to play. Look at a team like Philadelphia, right? Like, who's getting zero currently out of Ben Simmons anyways, right? Like, it, that seems like a logical landing spot for me. Um, you know, if, if, if you were going to do that and, and, you know, Ben Simmons is of an age and a time in his career that it's like still like, you know, there's still maybe some upside there and some untapped potential and you put him in a, a new situation, um, a new coat of paint perhaps uh, on him and a, you know, he finds his potential. I think, I think that's an interesting one. Um, I, I, I know, Eric, I can hear the tremor, the tremors in your voice. I, I know that these fake rumors that we're just making about a spot are making you physically ill. So I don't want to do this anymore. But I mean, I'll do it all day. I don't care. But I don't want to make you sick. <laughs> I, I just think that to me, it's like you, you know, like someone will call on Lillard. You've got to be, and teams probably have been calling on Lillard. Um, Damian Lillard, though, for as for as good of a player as Eugene McCollum has been for Portland. Damian Lillard has been the face and the cornerstone of basketball in that city for a decade, you know, and um, has expressed tons of loyalty to him, to that city, uh, that that organization owes it to him to, if he wants out to work with him on something, um, to get him to a good place and to do it on good terms. Because if you, if, if, if you kind of kick dirt on Damian Lillard on the way out the door for a place where it's already hard to get top level free agents to go there, like good luck. After that, yeah, uh, Dan. Free agents go to like three teams in the NBA. We've 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 already figured that out. But sure. uh, you you don't you don't want Damian Lillard taking the message out there that hey man I gave everything I had and this is the way I was treated. So I I, I totally agree with that. I, mm-hmm. I'm I'm all, I'm interested in what the Lakers might do at trade deadline or do they have sure. any flexibility? Is there anything there for them to do? Because they are looking like a very solid, uh, excuse me, LeBron James, I know you hate to hear these words, but a very solid play-in competitor from now till the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, right? No, I, I mean, I think, I think Jesse, they have, like, me waking up at 6.25 in the morning levels of flexibility, right? Like, real creaky stuff. Um, you know, the, the math is bad. First of all, right, from like a salary cap standpoint, right? Like, so if you're over the cap, money, basically money in has to match money out, right? And so the Lakers, by paying three players over $40 million at the start, um, have essentially built a roster uh, with, like, no middle class, right? Like, they've got right. super expensive guys, super cheap guys, 
and really only two players in the middle. And those two players are Talon Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn. One of those players, Kendrick Nunn, has played zero seconds this season. The other one of those players, Talon Horton Tucker, has seen his value diminish greatly around the league, despite being 21 um, and still like flashing some potential. Um, is definitely not somebody that has a, a lot of value, um, you know, at least in talking to team scouts and, and executives that I know. Um, he is someone who's, whose value has gone way down. So um, that, that, that definitely takes the Lakers out of a lot of conversations, right? And, and then they, they don't have any picks because they're all in New Orleans. So um, I mentioned that 2027 first-round pick. Guys, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing in 2027, right? Um, you know, GMs around the league who are going to trade good players can't really go to their bosses and say, hey, remember, you, you know, don't hold it against me. Five years from now, you, you know, there's some eighth grader out there who's going to be on your team. Um, you know, don't fire me. Uh, like that's a hard sell too. So it, it's not an attractive package that they have to offer. You know, they're, I don't think they can get into the Jeremy Grant conversations. They don't have nearly enough. Um, you know, it was rumored earlier in the year that they were interested in Gary Trent Jr. Like that's a really quick hang up, um, you know, from, from Bobby Webster and, and the crew in Toronto. Um, just like, there's just no point in that. Um, nowhere near close enough. Um, so then, so then you, you, you go down a couple levels, right? Like now you start looking at like, all right, well, like you call the Clippers on Robert Covington, you, um, you know, Josh Hart was a guy that I don't think they could get, um, you know, can you call Orlando on Terrence Ross? Um, you know, do you call Boston on Josh Richardson? Like do any of these players guys, in your opinion, like really like solve the Lakers situation? I, I don't believe that to be true. So then, to, yeah, so then it's like, so then why are you giving up a 21-year-old and a, a first-round pick five years from now? So, like, that to me seems like it's either, like, you know, and, and then there's all always, like, Westbrook scenarios, but, like, to me, again, trade into who and for what. Um, there's not a lot of interest out there. It seems to me, guys, like a much more minor situation where they will take, you know, one of their minimum players, a guy maybe like DeAndre Jordan, and, you know, one that I've heard someone float around is something like, you know, DeAndre Jordan in a second-round pick to Brooklyn for Paul Millsap. Hmm. You know, something like that. Like, um, <clears throat> like, does that – yeah, nothing major, generally. So, Dan, let me, let me ask you this then. And, and, and I, I, I preface this by saying, I swear I'm not trying to beat the dead horse here. If, is, is there even oh, any boy. value then? Is there even any value in – saying, all right, just for the sake of doing something, a fresh perspective, a different voice, a something. If it's not the players, do we look at the coach? Or is Frank Vogel safe? He's fine. It's clearly not his fault. And and this is the Lakers, period. Whether they finish 10th or 4th, this is the Lakers. And we're done. Let's go. Eric, I know you asked this question. i gotta, I got to talk to Jonesy for a second. Jonesy, why does Eric hate Frank Vogel so much? What is it? What is it about Frank Vogel getting a paycheck every two weeks that gets under Eric's skin in a way? Like I have been told, by the way, and mostly experienced, nothing but Canadian politeness in my life. And like, and then there's this. Like, did, did Frank Vogel like? Is he on the record somewhere saying that hockey is like a horrible sport? Like, what did he do to you? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he hates the Blue Jays. Maybe in a different life, he was a transplanted Canadian that became an American or something, and Eric's really upset about that. I don't know. Could be. Oh, that's what it, like he did. The, 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 Vogels, the Vogels were actually from Montreal. They've left. 
they've changed their name. Francois Vogel. Francois Vogel. Um, no, look. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an option, right, Eric? Like, it has to be um, because, you know, um, because you don't – general managers don't fire themselves and you can't fire the players, right? So, like, if you do need to make a change, you make a change. I still generally contend that uh, the Lakers' best chance, their best chance, centers around the fact that they have, I believe, have had their top three guys play 18 games this season, right? They are 11 and 7 in those games. That is not everybody in the NBA shake because they're 11 and a set. They're 11 and 7, but you know um, there is like the seedlings of like. You know, you've got Anthony Davis playing really well. You've got LeBron James and LeBron James. Like, let's just bet on continuity. Let's just bet on these guys figuring it out. And then from there, um, you know, hope for the best. Um, Like, it really, not only does it really, honestly, guys feel like their best option, it sort of mostly feels like their only option. And it's it's a failure. It's a massive front office failure that they didn't leave themselves out. They didn't leave themselves contingencies. Ultimately, um, when the Russell Westbrook trade is, like, you know, dead and gone and, and, you know, totally graded a failure, which it almost certainly will be, uh, it's not – like, Russell Westbrook needed to play better and didn't play better. That's a part of it. But the Lakers sacrificing all their assets by eliminating their ability to to even remotely sort of alter their roster because they pushed all their eggs in this basket – um, to me, it, it's why they're in the situation that they're in. Dan, uh, well said. I, I think we'd all echo that. Uh, appreci- appreciate bleak. the time as always. What, what, what? All right, Eric. Eric, I'm going to tell Frank Vogel you send your, your regards. I will let him know. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please, I got nothing against the man. I just keep looking for something, though, you know? Like maybe, I, maybe it's the baseball in me or something where it's like you can't fire the whole team, but you can fire the manager. Like something's got to give with the Lakers. There needs to be I, some it, sort of fire lit. So it, it's, it's, that's why I just keep coming at the guy. I, I think, I, I I think you want me to Frank. actually deliver – you want me to deliver a horse head or something to Frank Vogel, like in the guy? No, if it was Rick Patino, I would say there. do it. If it, you know, if it was Patino, you know, put that horse head, put two in there. <laughs> I, I got no time for Patino, but I got nothing against Frank Vogel. <laughs> now, 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 boys. He is so friendly, guys. He is so friendly. He could be Canadian. He may be the friendliest coach in the NBA. <laughs> it is just, I, it, 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 it is, it is wonderful, Eric. I love it. I, lo- I, I love it. It's so great. I hope he wins Coach of the Year. So no, do I'm I. All right, Dan. Thanks for the time, as always. All right, guys. Be good. All right, take care. Happy Thanks, Dan. There is Dan Wojcicki from the L.A. Times. Uh, Jonesy, another reminder for folks out there that today is Safer Internet Day, and TikTok's got you covered with great resources to keep your teen's online experience safe. Just go to TikTok.com slash safety, and you'll find TikTok's well-being guide, community guidelines, and a guardian guide with details on TikTok's family pairing features, which is where you can set up parental controls and privacy settings. You'll also find advice on how to talk to your teens about online safety. TikTok has you covered this Safer Internet Day. Learn how to talk to your teens about online safety again at TikTok.com slash safety. We will shift our attention from the NBA to the National Football League. And uh, we got lots to dive into, not just about the Super Bowl, a whole lot more when we continue on Smith & Jones.